right, good morning, church. Well, if you are new here with us this morning, um, if you are just new here in general, my name is Nicole. I am the spiritual formation pastor here at Restore. And what that means, especially for this morning, is that I could not be more excited about the series that we are going through, Tackling the Nicene Creed. And the reason for that is that I think when it comes to formation, when it comes to being formed, I think that sounds like a very kind of active, progressive, kind of forward-moving notion, right? And I think in many ways it is. We are constantly, actively, progressively being formed, often in ways we don't even realize. New life circumstances that come up out of nowhere, new friends that enter our lives and bring with them new perspective, even just a weekly church sermon that helps to inform as well as offer a time to reflect on who we are and what we believe. All of these things and so many more are all part of this day-to-day -day incremental formation of who we are and who we are becoming. However, I do think that there is another aspect to our formation that can often be overlooked. I think as important as all of those things are, what is equally important is how we are, how we are formed by what has already happened. Right? As much as we are formed by what is going on, but what will soon happen, we are also formed by where we've been. We are formed by our past, by our backgrounds, by our former experiences. We are formed by the things that ground us, that root us. Formed by the things we continue to return back to, the things we internalize as forever true and unchanging and consistent. And so in that sense, I think the Nicene Creed, or more specifically the truths represented in this creed, this is where we come from. These truths are what ground us. They are that part of formation that we can always lean back on. The truths in these creeds are a lot like the rules of a language. When you learn them and follow them, they actually enable you to express yourself more freely, to be rightly understood in a myriad of ways. These truths are kind of like the basic level Lego box set, not as cool as the like $50 Millennium Falcon Lego kit, but this Lego kit, when used rightly, actually allows for more creativity. They serve as the building blocks, giving us an opportunity for more creative displays of individuality. These truths are like the elementary chords learned as children that every great musician is formed by, shaped by, allows them to grow. That is what I hope we cling to over the series of the next few weeks. We remember that these truths, they form us, they shape us, they are what we can cling to. And boy, is that good news, especially when the whole future-looking part of our formation is changing <laughs> and is uncertain. But the certain truths that we will hold on to specifically for this morning, the portion of the creed that we're going to be looking at are uh, is as follows. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, 
God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Begotten, not made. Consubstantial with the Father, through him all things were made. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us first, and then we'll dive a little bit more into these two. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you acknowledging this time is yours. Lord, it is yours to do with us, with our hearts, with our aches, with our burdens, what you will. Would we simply be present? Would we be aware? Would we be expectant, Lord? Hands and hearts open wide. Move, Lord, in ways only you can. We pray all these things in the sweet name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, well, if you were paying attention even a little bit as I read this portion of the creed this morning, it's okay if you weren't. It should still be up there. So you can kind of, oh, it's not. People are panicking. It's not up there. It will get up there eventually, and you can catch up with the rest of us. But hopefully you were listening, and now you're aware this uh, portion of the creed that we're in this morning uh, is all about centered around the one, the only Jesus Christ. Now, with that in mind, I want us to sort of reconsider these truths we just heard. Maybe flip through them a few times there in the back. And I want us, with, with this in mind, this portion of the creed is all about Jesus Christ to ask ourselves, what's missing here? What truths aren't, at least yet anyway, mentioned? What do we typically think of? What thoughts do we go to about Jesus that we don't quite yet see here? I'm not going to call anyone. This isn't a quiz. I'll give you my answer to get the ball rolling, all right? I think what's interesting about what we don't find in these initial truths given about Jesus Christ is anything about his birth, about his life, about his miracles, his teachings, his walking on water, the feeding, the 5,000, nothing even. About his death, his crucifixion, his resurrection, the empty tomb. These things we typically associate with Jesus, they're not here. Not yet. What's interesting is that in these initial truths spoken, about the Lord Jesus Christ is there is nothing mentioned about what he does or what he will do. Rather, what this portion of the creed is most concerned about is who he is. The first two portions of the Nicene Creed, the portion we were in last week and again this week, that is the primary concern of the truths put forward, who is God. There is no mention yet of what he does. And boy, do I think there is a lesson in that for us. For many of us, even in our faith today, is it wrapped up in, is it dependent on what God does or does not do? How many of us growing up in the faith were taught a version of the faith, wholly dependent around what God could or could not do? 
how many of us, even in our doubt, in our wrestling, in our uncertainty, in our disagreements, in our arguments with one another that cause this disunity, is all of that centered around what God will or will not do, who he will or will not bless, who he will or will not accept or reject. Now, I want to be clear, all of that matters. It matters greatly. And as we go on throughout the creed, we will see it has plenty to say about what God will do and does. However, what is of primary concern, what we cannot move past, what we cannot overlook or jump over, is first, who he is. What is his character? What is he like? What is his heart? Who is he as father? Who is he as maker of all things? And of course, specifically this week, who is he as son? To be clear, our focus this morning is not, was Jesus God? Did he say it? Did he do enough? Did he prove it? How are we sure? Again, important. <laughs> I know for, for many of us, it's a touchy, hard topic when it comes to trying to navigate and understand God, but I want us at least for this morning to just lay that down for a second. Not overlook, not shoot past, primary concern. God as son. Son being part of his identity. If it were to be removed, would completely change who he is. In order to know, to understand, to experience, to rightly see God as he is, we have to understand him in both his identities as father and as son. I also think we have to understand the relationship that those identities have together. Take, for example, my parents, who I pray to God, this is not the week that they decide to sit on the couch together and watch their daughter preach. Sorry, Mom. All throughout high school, my parents were known as the cool, laid-back, super-chill parents. And that drove me crazy. My friends would go on and on. Oh my gosh, you're so lucky. Your parents are so laid back. They don't seem to care about anything. Oh, they're so cool. You know what my parents weren't? When we were at home alone and my friends weren't there, no one was around, they were not laid back. They were not cool. They were not chill. They were very much the opposite. And so it would drive me bonkers when my friends would go on and on about who they are. And I'm like, you don't even know them. Not really. You don't know who they are behind closed doors when it's just me and them. I was core to understanding the fullness of who they were. They're great people, okay? They're just not like the chillest ever. Anyway, so it goes with the father, we cannot seek to understand him, not fully. We cannot claim to know him, let alone God in his fullness. 
without understanding the Father and the Son before anyone else is around. What was that relationship like? That's what I think this portion of the creed is all about. It's helping us to understand what this relationship between the Father and the Son has to say about who our God is. And I think our understanding to that relationship is wrapped up in this fun little word, that unfortunately happens to be the word I think we have all said, we have all recited, we have all repeated, and didn't actually really quite know what it meant. At least for me. I talked to Troy about this, and he was like, I'm pretty sure people know what that means, so this could be an embarrassing moment for me. But the word is begotten. I'm looking at how confident y'all look in that right now. This is where I quiz people. Oh, yeah, prove it. Anyway. How often have we said that growing up in church, recited it through these creeds? The only begotten Son of God. Yeah, sweet, cool. What does that mean? (laughs) And I say unfortunately because I think that is the key word given in this portion of the creed to understanding what that relationship is like. Now, lucky for us, I do think the creed helps us out a little bit. And it gives us this phrase. Is it up there? Yep, perfect. Begotten, not made. I think we gain from that. Point of this word, the point of this statement, the son was not made. He was not created. He was not a work of the father's ability to form or shape, to mold. The son was begotten. He was reproduced. He was a byproduct of, an extension of the very being, essence of God. To put it another way, the Son is not a reflection of what God is able to do. He is an extension of who he is. I think our best example of this that we run into all the time is the main thing we think about when we hear the word reproduce, which is kind of why it's a weird word to associate with God. Because when we typically hear that word reproduce, we jump to baby making. But I do think it is babies, kiddos, that give us a perfect example of this type of relationship, of this type of begottenness. I work with your kids a lot. I've gotten to know them and to love them, and I can attest they are a reflection of you. Some of y'all look nervous. Like, my kid's crazy. That is not on me. But they are. They are a reflection of you. And when I say that, when I see it, what I don't mean is that they're a reflection of what you do. They give me no insight into your abilities how great of a cook you are, how great of a time manager you are, how clean you keep your house, how on time you get them to school. They are a reflection of who you are, of your being. They are a reflection of how caring you are, how hardworking you are, 
how devoted you are, how goofy you are, how laid back you are, how much of a germaphobe you are. That one was specific. In knowing your kids, I get to know the texture of mom's curls. I get to know the color of dad's eyes. I get to know the language of grandma and grandpa. I get an insight to you, not what you do, who you are. And just as a caveat this morning, to anyone who has not experienced this very specific type of reproduction. I do not think that is the only way we get to experience this type of relationship. I think anywhere that we are offering the fullness of ourselves, who we are, our being, and all of its forms to another for their sake, for their investment, for their goodness there, this idea of reproduction is born. I have worked with kids and youth for eight years now. And I have seen 17-year-olds start to talk like me. 14-year-olds start to use theological terms like me. I have seen 10-year-olds start to get way more sassy like me. And I have seen some of your four-year-olds get excited about Jesus like me. There is a whole lot of little bits of Nicole and a whole lot of you throughout the southern Texas region. And so I know that there is and can be a whole lot of you and nieces and nephews and kids here at Restore in each other. where there is a reproduction of our being through kids, an extension of our essence through parenting, the offering over of ourselves fully to another in love through church community, I think there we get a glimpse of this father and son relationship. A relationship that is based far more who he is, not what he does. A relationship based on presence more than ability. I think Jesus expands on this relationship, gets into a lot of its details toward the end of his life when he offers some of his final words of encouragement and instruction to his disciples. He spends several chapters outlining this relationship, going into the depths of it. And the portion I want us to look at this morning comes from John 14, verses 6 through 11. It says this, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Lord, said Philip, Show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been among you all this time, and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? 
Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So Jesus begins this portion of his dialogue with that infamous phrase, no one comes to the Father except through me. And I want to highlight that phrase, one, because I think for many of us, we have seen and heard that phrase used as some sort of like Christian trump card. We have used it, seen it used in arrogance and superiority to condemn and to exclude. And so I want us to revisit this statement lightly. In the context of what we're talking about this morning, but also in the context of what Jesus is saying here. And I think in that context, we see Jesus does not offer this statement in superiority as some sort of attempt to exclude or condemn. He offers it in eagerness and longing to invite his disciples to know, to understand, to discover God. He invites them to discover him not in the midst of a long list of rules and regulations, to discover him not in the midst of the rigorous steps of an animal sacrifice, but to discover him in the midst of a personal, intimate, devoted, and overflowing relationship that exists between the Father and the Son to discover God in the midst of active love. It is true. I don't think we can fully know God without knowing Jesus. But I believe that because I don't know that we can fully know God, his love, his care, his devotion, and his character without knowing that at the heart of that, is this relationship between a father and a son. Without that, how else can we see God is love being poured out? He is the reproduction of love. He is love extended, love begotten. Love is not something he does. It is who he is. know how else we can see that without this relationship at the heart of him. This relationship that Jesus now invites his disciples to partake in themselves. And I want us to pay attention to how he invites them into that relationship. He says, know me. Believe in me. Later he'll expand on this and say, abide in me. What's important about these terms here, they're not exactly productive. They cannot be accomplished through a checklist or through a three-step program. 
We cannot get to know someone by simply having them fill out a Be My New Best Friend survey. Trust me, I've actually tried that. I'm a very productive person. We cannot grow to believe in someone by simply just willing ourselves to do it. We cannot abide in someone by randomly fitting them into our schedules periodically. Simply put, we cannot accomplish such tasks by doing. These are things that can only be accomplished by being. By presence. By nearness. By longing. By desire. We grow to know someone through both their desire and availability to be known, as well as our longing and commitment to want to know them. We grow to believe in someone through their consistency in our lives, through us sticking with them long enough and through enough to build trust and safety. Even in the definition to abide, it is to keep to, to cling to, to dwell with. That's not really something you can just check off your daily to-do list. That's constant. That presence. Jesus is making clear here the relationship he is inviting his disciples into, the relationship that exists between the Father and himself, is one about presence not ability. It is about being, not doing. It is a relationship begotten, not made. And it's interesting because this is so core to Christianity, right? It's not about works. It's not about abilities. What you do can't save you. It's a relationship, not a religion. Ain't it neat that that's all actually true? (laughs) That's not just something we say. That's not just a verse we picked up out of nowhere, some truth we were indoctrinated into. This is at the core of our God. This is who he is. Of course it's the life he invites us into. Of course. It's what this walk will look like. We follow him. Okay, but what does that actually look like? In our daily life, in our daily walk, what does this mean for all of that? Well, unfortunately, I think it means it looks a lot more foreign to us than we'd like. I think it is far more natural for us to care about doing more than we care about being. I think throughout our lives, we will stress over far more what to do more than we will stress over who we are. When a big decision comes our way, how many of us are desperate to just know the best or right answer? Just tell me what to do. Not many of us long to be formed and shaped into people who, when faced with a tough decision, can give a wise good answer. 
when we hurt somebody, when we make a mistake, when we fail, fall short. And many of us just jump to wanting to fix it. Just make it better. Just do better next time. We don't often take the far longer route of looking inward at who we are, what maybe needs to be sifted through, mended, healed, that produced that mistake, that hurt, that pain in the first place. I think ironically, to care more about being than doing is actually a lot harder. It takes a lot more time. I think it takes a lot more effort. But I want to be clear in what that effort is. I think the best way we can understand that is is by bringing in the one last person of the Godhead who is nowhere near this portion of the creed, but that's kind of the whole three persons, one God. It's really hard to talk about one without bringing in all the others. So here we are talking about the Holy Spirit too. Specifically, I want to bring in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I think I missed one. Which one? Goodness. There was a third. I just didn't know it was coming. How often throughout our Christian lives do we consider these attributes and just want to do them better? How often do we say to ourselves, I just need to love better. I suck at self-control. I need to get better at patience. Today, I need to choose joy. But when we consider such attributes in that light, we miss the point of them completely. These are the fruit of the Spirit. The natural, cannot be stopped, cannot be faked, result, byproduct, reproduction of God. They cannot be accomplished by doing. They can only be accomplished by being, by presence, by nearness, by longing, by desire. The more we know God through both his desire and availability to be known, which is constant, and our longing and commitment to want to know him, the more we believe in God and his consistent presence in our lives and him sticking with us long enough and through enough to build that trust and safety, the more we abide in him, we keep to him, we cling to him, we dwell with him, even if we are just barely hanging on. The more we are simply in and aware and seeking his presence, the more we will inevitably, in a way that cannot be stopped, simply be loving. We will be gentle, good, faithful, kind, self-controlled. He is God from God, light from light, true God from true God. 
he cannot help himself. It is part of who he is to reproduce, to extend, to pour out continuously his character, his goodness. He cannot help it any more than he can help his own identity as father and as Close us out in prayer. <coughs> Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to come before you, to long to know you, to do this life with you through and because of your Son. If your relationship of the love that extends, that reproduces, that pours out in ways that are so central to your character, are central to our worship of you. It cannot be separated, God. What a thing to behold. What a truth to have confidence in. Lord, would you keep this truth by your spirit? Would you keep it near? Would you keep it present in our minds? As we go throughout this week, and Lord, I am sure of it, as soon as we leave this room, Lord, we will be tempted to jump to doing, to stressing, to hustling, to working, to just trying again and again and again, to do better and better and better. Lord, would you rest on us? Would your presence overwhelm us in those moments where we are reminded the effort that you ask of us is to simply be, to be with you, to be near you, you and your son and the love that you shared, that you pour out over us, over this world. Would you open our eyes to that, God? We pray all of these things because of the son and in his name, Jesus Christ.